0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. Well, why don't you open your Bibles? Some of you got your phones already open, so you have your Bibles open. And I know I just had you stand or sit down, but I'm going to have you stand uh, as we honor God's Word as we read God's Word. Uh, the passage that we're going to jump into this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 5. Even though we're going to be in 7 to 9, let's start with verse 1. So, uh, verse 1 of chapter 5 in Matthew. Seeing the crowds, he, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. for they shall be called the sons of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, just as a a bit of review, as we have been uh, in in the Beatitudes, right? the Beatitudes, the the blessed um, are, are there as a description of the kingdom. Jesus is describing the kingdom. And what it looks like to be in the kingdom. And he's describing the, the declaration that is made over God's people as they're part of the kingdom and the blessings that come from that. So we've hit, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? We covered the fact that that all all Christians need to come to a place of realizing their need before God. And there's a separation from God. And when we trust in Christ, we become part of the family. We have the hope of heaven. And then we, we covered, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When, when we are aware of that separation from God, and we're aware of our sinfulness, we mourn over that sinfulness. And we repent of that. And we are comforted because we are forgiven in Christ. And then we covered, blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. We learned that meekness is strength under control. Because we know what Christ has done, we don't need to exert ourselves. We don't need to put ourselves forward, advocate our rights, use our authority for manipulation. No, we trust God and we are use that. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those that are a part of the kingdom will receive the earth when it's renewed. And then, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. For righteousness. Hopefully my English teacher is not watching. And, I, and I, we'll see if I, I spelled it right. And if I didn't, those of you who are English lovers will be like, what? That's why we have it on the screen. Um, because um, if, if all of these are true, we're aware of our need, if we are mourning over our sin, if we are meek, we we are going to want to hunger and thirst for the things of God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. These kind of flow into that. And so these are kind of categories of the heart. And then there's kind of a transition into how that works itself out into action. And that's where verses seven to nine come. So that's where we're going to spend our time this morning. Because Jesus invites us to think differently. That's what this whole section is about. Jesus is inviting us to think differently throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. And this morning as we look, Jesus invites us to think differently about others. Look at verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So when it says mercy... It says merciful, it, it means those who are bent, have, have a bent to show mercy. Not just those who occasionally show an act of mercy, but their hearts are directed so much towards the kingdom. They're, they're bent towards showing mercy. And as we look at the Subject of mercy in the New Testament Testament, it we kind of see it in a couple of different ways. One is pardon given to those who've done wrong. So forgiveness. So someone's done something wrong. There's an act of mercy that we forgive them, or we don't hold them to that, or they experience forgiveness. And there's also mercy that's displayed is, as kindness shown to those in need. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Right. There's someone who's been beat up, robbed, left to die on the side of the road and different individuals walk by them, completely ignore them. Then the guy who should be ignoring this individual on the side of the road doesn't ignore, sees them and has mercy upon them, takes them, cleans them up, puts them up, makes sure that they recover. It's an act of Mercy. So that's what it looks like in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, mercy, the word for mercy occurs about 30 times. Twenty-five of those times are, are in used to describe God. They're used to describe God because that's where mercy comes from. And that's how we display mercy. In Luke 6, we, we are told, Be merciful as your Father is merciful. That's in the context of taking the log out of your own eye, which we'll get to again later, is as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. But mercy flows out of our awareness that we have received mercy. So, as we talked about being poor in spirit, we're aware of this separation between us and God. And so it flows as we want to hunger and thirst for what is right out of being poor in spirit. In spirit, we are going to display mercy. Even as we've talked about these Beatitudes, they flow together. They're not just one-off things. They do flow. As you're aware of this, you're going to hunger for the things of God, and you're going to display mercy. It's not just some separate thing. You just figure out how to do It's part of God transforming us. When we recognize our spiritual poverty, it develops in us a patience, a tenderness, empathy, compassion for the failings of others. Compassion for those going through hard situations. So when we're aware of what Christ has done, condescension becomes compassion. Malevolence becomes mercy. Rather than, well, what's, what's wrong with her? Or, how could he do that? We're aware of what's been done for us. We're aware that God's been merciful to us. And, and we say, how can I help? How can I help? Because we realize we could have done the same thing apart from his mercy in our lives. We could have done the same thing Mercy takes various forms. It changes the way we relate to others. It could be taking someone a meal. It could be having someone come and live with us. It could be walking with someone for a season through hard times. It could be simply relating to the loss differently because you're aware of the mercy that you've been given. You realize the true state that someone is in when they're apart from Christ. They're a slave to sin. They're an enemy of God. And you, it breaks your heart. So you want to share Christ with them, not out of obligation, but because you see their need and you see that mercy is available to them if they would but trust in Jesus. So that's how it flows out of us, this mercy. Now, a couple of quick side notes well, just to, to clarify. Mercy does not mean that we accept the sinful patterns of others. We want to love folks who want to share the truth in love, but that doesn't mean we say it's okay for you to continue to sin, to continue in those destructive behaviors. That's not mercy. And so we just want to be clear about this. Certainly there are times we show mercy to those that are caught in patterns of sin, but that doesn't mean we say that that's okay and we're just going to leave that alone. And this passage uh, does not mean that we are, are earning mercy. Okay, if you're merciful, you get mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. If you're not merciful, you don't get no mercy. No, one does not earn this reward. We, we receive this because of what Christ has done. He has displayed mercy. He has has been merciful. And so, there's this promise for us that when we are merciful, we receive mercy. Now, certainly that happens on the last day. We experience the fullness of His mercy when we are going to be in the kingdom that He's going to usher in. But we experience the blessing of His mercy in this day. In this day, when you're aware of His mercy and you start to see His work in your life as you are merciful towards others, you experience the reality that you're not condemned anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can tangibly feel the act of mercy. You tangibly feel it when you come into his presence because you can. Rather than cowering away, you realize that mercy has been shown to you. So you experience it. So we do experience it now when we declare, I'm forgiven. So let us think differently about others. Let us direct our hearts towards the kingdom As we pursue mercy. The second one, verse 8, that we're looking at, Jesus invites us to think differently about our motives. Look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Every age, we could say, well, our age is celebrating those with mixed Motives. Every age experienced those who engage with the world with mixed motives. Just referencing a study that was done uh, for, about World War II showed that some American industries did a profitable business with Nazi Germany until the final stages of the war. One account showed that Hitler's regime used American technology to organize slave labor and to manage death camps. IBM facilities operated in Germany throughout the war. Indeed, IBM's chairman, Thomas Watson, received Germany's merit cross for his contributions to Germany's uh, industry during wartime. Other researchers have shown that IBM was hardly alone. ITT sold components for V1 buzz bombs. Ford and General Motors sold trucks. Standard Oil sold oil. RCA, Chase Manhattan, and others did the same. Selling what they could. William R. Hawkins says that when national security and profits collide, expect businessmen to be businessmen. That's the opposite of being pure. That's divided loyalties. And the heart is the place, even as we read in Scripture, the place where we wouldn't expect to find purity. That Jesus would be saying, look for purity there. Because we learn from Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Matthew 15, 19, Jesus says, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. But this is the place where Jesus calls us to purity. The place where our secret thoughts are. And purity is just what you're thinking it is. Like it's the description of like pure, clean water or metals that don't have extra alloys in them. They've been purified. That's what purity is talking about. Well, the reference to one whose heart is wholly focused on God. Now let me clarify, it's not saying that you should never ever have a thought pop into your head that is evil in any way. We know the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking those to devour. We know that he's trying to tempt us and he throws in thoughts of temptation. Thoughts of temptation are not sin. That doesn't mean that you don't have purity of heart because those things come in. They're going to come in. In fact, they, they're promised that they will come when you trust in Jesus. Now what's, what Jesus is getting at is don't have your loyalties be divided. Let yourself wholly be focused on God. On one thing. Determined to serve one Master. We'll learn about that in Revelation to, to finances later on in the Sermon on the Mount. So when you have one focus, you live corum Deo. You live... In the presence of God. You're aware of God. You want to live for God. You're going to hunger and thirst for Him. And there's a promise. There's a promise as, as we do that, we experience the reality that we see God. When we come humbly and honestly, we see God. We get a picture of who God is. Now, I know as we read in Scripture, like Moses only got to see the backside of God, and people, they can't be in the presence of God because they, they won't be able to exist in the presence of God. But because of what Jesus has done, we, can, we will encounter that in eternity where we will see God. But we can encounter Him now. We can encounter and experience with Him. We can boldly come before His throne in prayer. As we come and worship, we can tangibly sense His presence we can see His working in our lives. so it's so helpful to be in fellowship with other saints. Not just here on a Sunday, but in our small groups and in other contexts where saints can remind you and say, hey, God's working. You know, God's present. Even though you think He's not been present, actually He has been present. And we can see His presence because we can, we can trace His hand at work in your life. So we see God. We experience this. And this, this flows out of the reality after you, you see your separation from God, you, you're, you're mourned, you're, you're aware when, when you are, are convicted of your sin, you're, you're grieved, and yet you're forgiven. And once you realize that you are forgiven, you are going to hunger and thirst for more of God and more of who He is and you are going to experience this purity of in heart so again it's not something that you muster up it's something that you'll just you come to realize as the holy spirit is at work in your life And yeah, we want to pursue that when we realize there are divided loyalties. We want to come before the Lord and confess that to Him and receive forgiveness from Him. And that's going to stir us up because we're aware that we are accepted by Him. And we are going to have a singular focus and devotion and experience His presence and His peace. That's why we want to gather next Sunday night to pray and have a prayer meeting on Sunday night. Because we want to seek his face together. We want to come together, sing some, we'll open his word, and we're going to pray, and we're going to just seek his face. We don't have a plan to to have a, a list of things we want to ask God for, though we may ask God for things. We want to come because he's worthy to be sought. We want to seek his face before we seek his hand. Because we know that as we hunger and thirst for him, what? We're going to be satisfied. As we have that singular focus on him, we're going to see God, and we're going to encounter him. And that's our prayer and that's our expectation. Someone bluntly said to Helen Keller once, isn't it terrible to be blind? You just think, man, that that really happened. But this is how she responded. Better to be blind and see with your heart than to have two good eyes and see nothing. Friends, these eyes see so many things that distract us. And we have so many things that distract us in our day. But there have always been things that have distracted us with these eyes. Jesus is calling us to, to be sensitive with our spiritual eyes and have a singular focus. We can certainly see with these eyes. but When we see with these eyes, with the kingdom in view, things are transformed and we will pursue him. And so how do we do it? We cast ourselves on the Lord as David did. This is the heart of how how we do it. We come as David did in Psalm 51 when he said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from Your presence and take not Your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of Your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Again, you don't muster it up. You just come Humbly before Him. And if you're here this morning or you're watching online and you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the posture that Christ calls you to. You just come with nothing because He is everything. And you turn and you follow Him. And it's going to cost you everything because He's he's calling you to a singular focus. He doesn't mince words. He calls you to leave Father and mother and and spouses and land sometimes. And He doesn't call you to leave spouses, just to be clear. But you should never elevate your spouse above your Savior. He calls you to sometimes leave jobs and resources. Because He wants you to have one singular devotion. Why? Not because He wants to be a killjoy. But because when you shed that, you see God. So you have the opportunity today before you leave here to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and encounter him. As James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We're praying that this morning in the prayer meeting, that we would draw near and experience his presence and his peace. So Jesus invites us to think differently about our motives. And thirdly, Jesus invites us to think differently about conflict. Look back at your Bibles. Matthew 5, verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Sons of God. Kind of speaks to the family orientation. We're kind of of raised to expect in our culture or in our families, that there's going to be conflict among siblings, right? We should just expect that to happen. In fact, you all have stories. You all have glorious stories of conflict with your siblings, right? Because we just expect that it's going to happen. We kind of make light that it's going to happen. We expect that maybe when we go home today, there's going to be some conflict about that. And we're just going to try to hide it from our parents, Some of you are adults now, and you're no longer hiding it from your parents. And it's just conflict that's going on. But Jesus is calling us to think differently about conflict. Because those who make peace show what it looks like to be in God's family. They show what it... Those who pursue... Peace show what it looks like to be in god 's family, so what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Well passively speaking, I mean it does mean to to be peaceable to not be inclined to engage in disputes. We can all kind of know the reality if you're if you're a troublemaker and if you pursue conflict all the time and you like quarrels you 're not a peacemaker like we can get that so kind of. Now, we want to be peaceable, and we don't want to be disrupting of peace, and there's many ways we can disrupt peace. Being passive-aggressive disrupts peace. Saying something, and then saying something under your breath, which is kind of like reaching your hand around and popping somebody up behind the head, right? That That doesn't make for peace. Being quiet, but bitter inside doesn't make for peace. Insecurities and worries don't make for peace. Discontentment disrupts peace. Envy disrupts peace. Guessing what other people's motives are disrupts peace. Because there's a reality, whenever whenever we guess somebody's motives... Like, I don't remember a time I guessed somebody's motives, and, and it was wonderful. Like, it's, we always go to the worst case scenario. There was one story I read about a pastor who decided to preach longer and extend their service by 15 minutes. Their service used to end at 10.30, and then they, they extended it to 10.45. And there was this man in the church that would get up right at 10.30. Every single time struck 10.30, he would get up and leave. And over time, the pastor was like, come on. Like, isn't he not devoted? He's so stuck that we've got to be done at 10.30. He's, he's got to get up and leave. Well, then one Sunday, the pastor decided to, to preach at the front end of the service, and they worshiped at the end of the service, and the guy still got up and left at 10.30. And after the service, the guy's wife came to the pastor and said, thank you so much for, for fixing up the service in a different way. My husband was so grateful. Uh, he, has to be, he has to be at work at 10.45, and so he has to leave at 10.30 every Sunday. And he was so grateful. He could hear the entire message this morning. Aren't we all guilty of something like that? That's because we we, we don't want to judge motives, but we want our hearts to be inclined towards peace. So believing the best is is inclining your heart towards kingdom values, it's inclining your heart towards peace. And I want to give clarity on what, what we mean by being a peacemaker. I'm going to use two words peacekeeper, peacemaker. Hyphenated words peace. Peacekeeper we often think a peacekeeper is a peacemaker, but they're really not a peacemaker. They're just keeping the peace. A peacekeeper avoids conflict. Sometimes at any price, any cost. Have a relative outside of our home that will remain nameless. And whenever conflict happens, they seem to disappear. They, whether maybe they could be in the conflict, but if somebody else is having conflict, they just leave that conflict. And avo- avoiding conflict isn't peace making. It's peacekeeping. We just we don't want to have it. Sometimes that looks like you know conflict happens in the house. You just go. Well, I just we just need to stop that right now. Kids, you fight now. Sometimes you do need to separate the kids just to cool them off. But you do need to, the peacemaker helps to make peace. It's not the absence of peacemaking; is in the absence of conflict, because conflict isn't about winning and losing. If seen rightly, it ends hostilities. The peacemaker ends hostilities. The peacemaker brings together those who are quarreling whether it's if you're the peacemaker and you're with someone else, you're bringing that, or maybe you're bringing two other individuals together. Patiently enduring for the sake of peace. Ultimately, seeing that all men need peace with God, so you can patiently endure those who may be persecuting you or causing challenge for you because they don't know Christ, you realize their greatest need isn't for them to stop being annoying to you. Their greatest need is they need to encounter the Lord Jesus Christ. So the peacemaker pursues peace in various ways. A.W. Argyll wrote, peacemakers are not appeasers, but those who actively overcome evil with good. So the peacemaker is someone, obviously, who has encountered Christ and realized, though they're separated from God, they've been forgiven and they mourn of their sin and they've, they have, they've realized they're forgiven from their sin. And then we talked about meekness last week. This is someone who, who may, may have strength, may have an awareness of these things, but they don't, they don't need to push themselves forward. They don't need to exalt themselves. They don't need to position themselves. They don't fight for their rights. When that person realizes that and they're like, Yeah, I'm going to hunger and thirst for all that God has because I don't have to put myself forward, they are going to display something. They are just going to be a peacemaker. Rather than being a conflict creator, they're going to become a peacemaker when they see it rightly. When we see it rightly, friends. Author Daniel Doriani explains the meek making peace for two reasons. He says this, first, the meek know that they are without merit. The meek stop promoting themselves, stop grasping for privileges and recognition. When they stop demanding, peace tends to emerge. For most strife stems from self-assertion. And then he says, secondly, warring tribes trust the meek to make peace with them. The meek aren't seeking an advantage. They aren't asking, whose favor can I gain? They are impartial, honest brokers. People trust the meek because they are not angling for future favors. See how these all go together. And there's a promise For the peacemakers, the promise is that they will be called sons of God. It's not something that we earn. It's something that Christ purchased for us. We are part of His family when we trust in Christ. We become children of God. This sons of God blessing speaks to a special relationship with the King of the universe. It speaks to intimate relationship between a God who has chosen His children and that we've entered into this covenant relationship with Him. And it points us to the future unhindered relationship that we will have with Christ. When He ushers in His kingdom, we will have unhindered access. No more struggle. That's what it speaks to, the longing for that day. But it also speaks to the fact that we have relationships. We have relationships with others in the family of God. And over the last couple of years, with COVID, crazy, and everything else, you know what it's revealed? It's revealed a lack of, of peace amongst God's people. It's revealed sin. I talk with many pastors in different places. This is not something that just happens in our neck of the woods. Conflict is happening not over some essential doctrinal truth, but over secondary matters that don't matter in eternity. Some of us are avoiding those conflicts because of peace at any price. Some of us are saying, who needs peace? I'm just going to tell you my perspective until I beat you over the head so that you change your perspective. Friends, these are are those for whom Christ died. The people who aren't in this building on Sunday morning doing something else because they don't know Jesus, they don't get it. So, surface-level arguments about facts and figures, they don't give a hoot about. But they will know if the aroma of Christ is coming from you. They can see meekness. They might not have that as a category for them. They might not be able to define it, but they can tell you what it looks like. So, friends, may we let these truths that we've been studying lay us bare. And if there's confession that we need to make, well let's confess that. If there are brothers and sisters in Christ we need to get right with, let's do that. If there's someone in our faith family that you're like, you know what, I just I just kinda I just kinda avoid them because I really just you know, there's not like an active conflict between us, right? Like I'm I'm not like bashing in their window or writing on their car, so we're fine. But you know, you kinda just maybe you avoid them. Yeah, I just I just don't wanna it just kind of feels like there's a conflict coming on and I just, I just don't want to do that. Let, let the flag go up. And know there's an opportunity for you to see reconciliation there. You don't have to become besties, but you can rejoice together in what Christ has done. You can. And, and, and you will by the grace of Jesus. And the answer, friends, to all of these things Because as much as we want to pursue peace, sometimes it's just really hard to do so. The answer to all of these things is the the answer to every question, right? It's Jesus. How do we do all this stuff? We focus our attention on Jesus. And I just made Chris crazy because we don't have a slide with Jesus on it. He can't put it up there. But just picture that Jesus is written across all that. Because the answer is Jesus. Think about every single one of these that we just talked about. Blessed are the merciful. Think about Jesus. The most, who, what most often moved Jesus to perform His miracles. He had compassion on the sick and the needy. When He saw them, He empathized with them. He healed them. He raised some from the dead. He sat with them. He comforted them. And Jesus on the cross Forgave his accusers. The ones that were lashing out at them, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So when you encounter someone who's coming at you, they don't know what they're doing. Father, work. Father, move. And Jesus, when He was doing that, He fulfilled justice. Because some of us don't want to extend mercy because we're like, well, the, the justice, and justice isn't going to happen if I fulfill that. Well, Jesus did it. Jesus, justice and mercy at the same time. On the cross. And then pure in heart. Blessed, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's no one else in Scripture who had clarity of seeing his Father. Perfect fellowship with the Father. Doing what the Father told him to do. That's what we constantly hear him talking about. His prayer life and that intimacy with the Father. He saw God because he was of singular focus. First Peter, we learn he, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. No charge was found against him in his trial. But even though there's a promise in James that if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us, we have to remember that God has already come near. Even as we think, yeah, I want to be pure in heart because I want to see God. Just just remember, in your pursuit of that, he has already come near. His name is Jesus. And we, we talk about this in December. Jesus came near. And then when he left, if you trusted in him, he sent his Holy Spirit. So as we pursue him, it's not so that, okay, he'll finally send his spirit. His spirit's present. Just as we seek his face, we just tend to notice he's sitting right there next to us. He's been there all along. So we look to Christ. And then thirdly, when we talk about peacemakers, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. He was the son of God. He is the son of God. He was. He did not clutch His rights nor hold to His prerogative. But He humbled Himself. And in Colossians it says, He made peace by the blood of His cross. Jesus gave us the gift of peace. Because He didn't see that it was His prerogative and He displayed meekness. And he made peace because he laid himself down and you may lay yourself down for the sake of others so that peace can happen and then you can experience relationship. And understand, friends, because we think that making peace has to be a peaceful event. Like, when Jesus made peace, it was by far the opposite of a peaceful event. But yet, through that, He made peace with God. And through what you may walk through, loving others to make peace. On the other side, you will experience something from Christ that you haven't before. You'll experience a picture of what life in the kingdom is to look like. What life in the kingdom will look like. Where there's not going to be conflict anymore. There's not going to be death anymore. Because the ruler of that kingdom... One of his titles is Prince of Peace. Of his kingdom and of peace, there will be no end. That's the one that we look to, friends. That's the one who guides us as we grow. And as we spend time with him, we start to see the fruit of these beatitudes in our lives. We start to see the blessing of, that, that he's declared there being part of our lives. And then we want it more. And there's this cycle, as you hunger more, he satisfies you more. As you hunger more, he, he satisfies you more. And all the more do we want to encourage one another in these things as we see the day drawing near. Because there's going to be a day we don't have to hunger and thirst anymore because it's going to be right there in front of us. So let's look to Jesus as we encounter these Beatitudes and as we redirect our hearts towards his kingdom. Because as we do that, friends, there's there's going to be a reality. Opposition is going to come. And Mark's going to bring a message next week on the next three verses. Because we need to have these things understood as we navigate those things until that day when we are with him and we see him face to face. Thank you that you sent your son who we have already sung about, who we've already delighted in and who has taught us afresh this morning through the spirit that he sent us. Father, would you fix our gaze on him this morning, whether it's the first time someone's coming to faith in Christ or whether it's a fresh time to be with him until we see Him face to face. We ask all this in Jesus' name. And all all God's people said, Amen. Well, why don't we stand and respond to the truth that we've seen in God's Word. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.